It's a trap! Hello and welcome to Radio TCX, your weekly source for X-Wing news and strategy. I am Tim Dugan, and I am joined by my usual co-host, Carson Ray. Hello, everybody. I like that you and John are just basically leapfrogging on the podcast now. Like, I feel like every other week, one of you has to be off for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, high school debate and X-Wing are having a pretty tough overlap right now, but, you know, I'm glad John can help out. I think most people would be surprised to find out that you're still in high school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yep. <laughs> well, I it's at least nice now that we have three regular semi-regular hosts that I don't have to scramble to find guests every week. So at least one of you has always been available. So I'll take that. Um, but this week we can talk a little bit about your experiences recently. Uh, you've had a substantial tournament win, arguably the biggest tournament win you've ever had. Hey, there is nothing bigger than being a store champion. Uh, that's that's where you want to be. Uh, and I think this is my first store champion win of second edition. Well, we'll do a uh, we'll do a brief overview of that event because we always love to shout out our uh, store championships in Minnesota and in Colorado. Um, and then this week we're going to ask a big question: How do you deal with separatist swarms? And this is something that we've uh, talked about on the podcast from time to time. They are very relevant in the game right now, so we're going to take maybe a different approach than we've taken before um, and talk a little big picture because I think when you're looking at things that are big in the metagame right now. Uh, this this advice we can talk about kind of applies to everything, not just to dealing with the separatists right now. And no, our solution is not to fly just separatists yourself. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, perhaps a selfish topic because I think um, if you've been, you know, watching any of my games on stream uh, or anything, uh, you can tell that I struggle with playing against separatists <laughs> a bit. So... Uh, this is something I certainly want to find the answer with. Um, and I think I'm not alone in this pursuit. So I think uh, it'll be worthwhile to work through this. And hopefully we all can learn and just beat those droid players. So, Carson, I think if there's one uh, criticism people can have about you being on this podcast is that you've never really uh, proven your X-Wing skill at an X-Wing tournament, right? I don't think I can't even think of a single instance where people can say that, you know, oh, he proved he's a good X-Wing player by doing X. But now that you've won the Mythic Game Store Championship, I feel like you've really established your podcast cred. I agree. Couldn't agree more, Tim. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mythic Games hosted uh, our first store championship in Colorado um, of this season at a Blue Spruce Brewery. Uh, so great time, great location. We were fortunate to have Jeff Paul Miller as the TO, uh, great judge. Um, so just all around great event. Uh, actually, shout out to Jeff because my one complaint about you know the new store championship kits is the old ones, like you got trophies or plaques, uh, which was cool. Um, and that's not really the case in the new store championship kits. Um, so Jeff actually 3D printed some uh, first, second, and third place trophies 
um, right are like stormtrooper helmets um plaque things that are pretty cool um i i do miss that too like having the plaques back in the day um were pretty clutch like it, it felt special <laughs> yeah how how else am i supposed to validate the x-wing experience <laughs> well you can do it with your uh republic first order cards right that's right <laughs> no i mean now i got a really big focus token um that i'm sure will be really intimidating to use so that should be exciting here's the question are you going to be using that focus token uh in x-wing games uh, absolutely uh that's the whole <laughs> point of getting it that's <laughs> yeah um I don't know who gets to use the focus token. That's really the question. That's the hardest pick, right? It's not yeah. like the dial covers where it's got a certain ship on it, so that kind of chooses for you, right? You really have to pick who deserves. Like, is it a ship that does a lot of work for you already, or do you pick a ship that's struggling and needs that meteor focus token? <laughs> right. Like, is it the second focus I give to ZZ just as, like, <laughs> a disrespect? Here's my extra, extra large focus. <laughs> just to remind you i feel like ffg's just getting us all ready like all the tournament kits in the future are just gonna get us ready for gold squadron streams like we won't even need to use the the curled pulse stuff anymore like we just have giant tokens from all the tournament kits yeah i got my giant die from gen con and now i got my giant focus so i think i'm halfway there at least uh, and I think we can segue into the uh, real topic of this podcast now. Nothing nothing better than a podcast segue where I say I'm doing a podcast segue. Um, but you've It'd had... Be better you, if you, you were writing a segue, in the intro but yeah. That it's spelled differently, Carson. Not the same thing. Oh, but this is um, an audio format. <laughs> <laughs> but people can tell when you said it that you spelled it wrong as you were saying it. Um, if they know me, they know I spelled everything wrong. But. That is also true, and you don't often capitalize the first letter of your sentences, at least in text messages. <laughs> Anyways. Fun um, fact about Carson. Um, I yeah, might so sound like some... a droid today because of the cold, but... Um, but you've had some you've had some um, Separatist Swarm experiences recently. You were playing at the te Texas System Open um, where you had that um, crippling stream loss against Jesse Cho. Yeah, I mean, pretty one-sided loss um, where I really wasn't in it for most of the game. Um, you almost were in it. Yeah, there was just an early mistake that was very punishing and was a pretty big mistake. Um, but also, I mean, like I had a bunch of losses against Separatists at Worlds, um, even after practicing for that matchup. Uh, you know, it's it's one thing to beat an average separatist player, but when people have been training for it for worlds, um, it's a substantial challenge. And also looking at Gen Con, like my one loss there was against separatists. Um, <laughs> so clearly I need some help here. Well, and I think we all we all need some help too right now because they become a very popular choice. I mean, even in your what the Mythic Sword Champ was twenty eight people. There were, you know, what, a half dozen at least separatist lists uh, running lots of ships. Uh, so it, and it's a relevant force in the game right now. Um, obviously, we saw Duncan Howard just win that Texas system open with a SEP Swarm. And even without, you know, in hyperspace, without the benefit of things like Captain Seer, which was kind of a staple of SEP Swarms and Extended, um, they're still doing fantastic. Um, and I think that brings up the first point, too, because we've had, you know, obviously Minnesota player Paul Olson top eight with Sep Swarm's final table at the Las Vegas Open. Um, and we've had him on the show before, actually, to talk about 
his opinion on how you deal with playing against the Separatists. You can actually check that out too. Episode 185, Paul recorded a couple weeks before Worlds, so even before he had really, you know, made a name for himself as a Separatist player. Uh, he talked about it. But today, I thought it would be more fun for us to approach it. Um, how do you deal with Sep Swarms from the perspective of people who don't play Separatist Swarms? Yeah, well, and what's nice about doing this without Paul is um, he's not going to get upset when we say that, you know, they they might be a bit undercosted and are pretty <laughs> powerful right now, but... Uh, no, let, let me correct you on that. He will get upset. Like, I'm sure as he's listening to this in his car, he's starting to fume right now. Um, but he can't do anything about it, and that makes me feel happy. So he's just going to have to deal with it this week. <laughs> he can do a rebuttal sometime later. Um, I was going to say, the unfortunate thing about, you know, whether or not they're undercosted or just, you know, a little too good right now is that doesn't really help you beat them at all. Um, and we no. are quite a bit of ways from the next points update. Uh, there's a lot of big hyperspace events from now till June. So waiting for <laughs> FFG to change the points isn't really a good solution right now. Isn't And I think there's maybe a built-up expectation in people's minds because we have seen some more or less emergency updates. Like, obviously, Triple Loopsalons was a problem that got an emergency updates. We saw some tweaks to Quad Phantoms. Um, and I think, and I think, Carson, you agree with me on this, that I wouldn't say the Separatist Swarms are broken i don't think they're negatively impacting the game as a whole like design wise i do think they are undercosted. like they're too good for what you're paying for them um and that and that creates a tough metagame environment where i don't think we're gonna see ffg address them quickly like i don't think we're gonna see any emergency updates so we are gonna have to wait for june so regardless of what your opinion is on the sep swarms um i think it's pretty reasonable to expect that we're gonna have to wait till the next points update before anything's really done about it directly. Yeah, I agree, um, which is why we're here posing the question. Okay, so uh, complaining about it to FFG, not a solution. <laughs> Never. Uh, what are the solutions? They can't even get the right logos on their promo cards. Well, we can look back, you know, historically, you know, before we could just, you know, change points uh, whenever. You know, in first edition, there was some threats, you know, new things come out that are really powerful. Um, like, I remember losing, I think, my first... 10 games to uh the triple jump masters uh when those first came out and just spent the time understanding what the ships were doing to be able to figure out you know a game plan against them well it's kind of funny too um when things are under costed like when things are really good Tri triple jump masters was a great example back in the day because what was that 2016 i feel like whenever the first adepticon x-wing tournament was um like, yeah, things can be really overpowered, really hard to beat. You do learn things from playing against them, though. Like, even things that are generally... I mean, those were broken. I don't think those were just undercosted. Those were a broken part of the game. But you did learn tricks. Like, there were parts of them you could deal with that didn't seem obvious the first times, uh, first few times you flew against them, right? Yeah, I actually, like, ended up with a particular anti-Jumpmaster rock setup um, just based off you know, typical play patterns with them and um, the way they moved up the board um, that I found pretty effective. Now, it's a little tougher with droids. Um, they do have a, you know, perhaps comparably unique dial in the way they maneuver. Like, they have a pretty unique way they move around the board, um, you know, shuffling between those two turns and then going straight uh, all with all these barrel rolls and calculates. Um 
but rocks really isn't the solution because they can just sit on those uh, right <laughs> well and like some conventional swarm tactics just go out the window right like you can't uh, uh, like a traditional swarm has to deal with obstacles and that can really limit them if they lose actions that's bad if they take damage usually they're low hit point chips that's bad seps completely undermine that with grappling struts so you don't really have that as an option which um if you're used to playing x-wing over the long period like oh suddenly that's a tool i just don't have access to um, and it's a pretty useful tool, like when it when it was available, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, I would say I solve most of my bad matchups with uh, rock placement and just working on leveraging um, the engagement within those rocks uh, more than I usually do. Uh, but that just hurts me even more <laughs> against the separatists because I still have to avoid those rocks, uh, and they just get to dance around on them. So like looking for solutions here and the thing i've learned because i've played them several times now i've actually had some successful games against them never against paul but um against other people um and and there are there are workarounds to them um i think what's interesting is that they bring up i think an even bigger question about the game where when you see a metaphors like this something that's you're gonna have to deal with for x number of months here at least a couple major events we're gonna see all through the store championship season, you're gonna have to deal with them. Um, what are the problems you experience in the game where you should solve them by changing your list and what problems should be solved by changing your strategy? Yeah. Um, and this is a tough one because like, I think there are some good solutions um, against the swarms, you know, like Boba Fett is a pretty strong answer with all those rerolls. Uh, he alone can't do it, but he's a great addition um, to help your list out. And, you know, there's also, um, you know, ships with illicit slots. You know, they can take Dead Man's Switch uh, and just turn themselves into a um, sort of assault missile uh, and just deal a bunch of splash damage. Uh, there's bombs in general, you know, seismics destroying the asteroids. Uh, but not every list can incorporate those. Yet, I think there's an inclination um, when people have to deal with something like this. What I guess I'd call all those things hard counters, right? Where they're yeah, they're for sure. a, a part of your list built in specifically to deal with one type of problem. And the problem in X Wing is, first of all, like you're saying, they they're not available in every list. Like not every list can take Dead Man Switch. We don't have a real assault missiles yet um diamond boron missiles aren't the answer because i think only seps can take them are they even in hyperspace i'm not sure yeah um, who knows but but there's a i think there's a jump to where people like see a problem oh this is the biggest problem i'm gonna tweak change my list so that i can deal with this big problem and that creates its own problems because you know even though separatists are going to show up in most every tournament you're probably going to play at store championships to system opens um they're not the only thing far and away not the only thing you're going to see like, even though we're seeing a pretty high percentage of SEPs do well, there's still a pretty diverse selection of other lists that people will be flying. So you can't just include a bunch of hard counters for SEPs that aren't going to do anything for you in other matchups. Right. Well, and so the resistance list I've been playing for a bit now, I think it has, I don't know if it's, I'd say it has a strong matchup against everything else, but it has the tools that I need to find wins against, I think, the rest of the field. But I do still struggle with the separatists. And so is it worth it to compromise on that matchup 
um, when you think you have a decent matchup against everybody else? I think the answer is generally yes, um, and hope you avoid the separatists. But, you know, if you want to win tournaments, I think eventually you do run into them. Uh, whether you can avoid them for you Swiss, but you might run into them in the cut. One, I think that what that says to me too is that you generally have to don't feel the inclination to change your list just to deal with a particular threat. But there are occasions where you should change whatever list you're flying, probably dramatically if they're if the limitations are serious. A big part of it is just understanding what the limitations are of your list. If your list has no practical strategy to use against separatists. Um, that is probably a list you don't want to run in this metagame because you, you need, you're going to encounter them at some point. If your goal is to perform well and even, you know, excel in tournament cuts or even win tournaments, like you're going to need a strategy because you're eventually going to cross paths with them. So I think one of the instances where you would consider completely changing what list you fly is when I don't have a strategy for what I know is going to be a big part of the game. Now, what if you don't have the best strategy and it involves getting lucky and you have to play really well. Because <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at right now, I think. Well, and I think that speaks more to the issue of Seps being undercosted. Because I think I think you can have good strategies that still depend on favorable variants. Um, and that, I feel like that's kind of where I'm at with my list, too. Like, I have some great tools. I still need to be a little bit lucky and just, like, not get horrible dice. Um but that's okay. I think that's part of that's the fault of uh, the separatist being undercosted, not the fault of the player. Because I I don't think you're gonna find a list right now that handles the whole field really well and has a you know top tier strategy against separatists. I think you are gonna have to make some compromises to deal with the field as a whole. Um, so I think that's okay. I don't think that's a limitation that I would make. If your whole strategy is just good variants and you don't have any other tools you're using, that's a case where I think you have to you have to go ahead and say, all right, I got to do a different list, maybe a different faction. Um, but there are there are tweaks you can make to your list, and I think people should not jump to the conclusion of either I change nothing about my list or I change everything. There's little stuff you can do. Separatists obviously love debris clouds and asteroids, so running gas clouds is a great way to help deal with them where they can't land on those. Um, and that does limit a lot of uh, what makes that list good, is if you are if you get them into a position where they don't have any asteroids to land on, that is actually beneficial for you in, I think, a way that's more significant than people realize. Yeah, I mean, I very much dislike gas clouds, um, and it pains me to bring them, but if I don't want to change my list, I definitely at least have to change my obstacles. Uh, so I ended up going with all three gas clouds, just three big gas clouds. Um, and I think it helps. It certainly is not enough to just swing the matchup around, but it does, you know, limit their options a little bit where you can find some openings to engage them without being super punished uh, by their return attacks. And one thing I think um, people should consider too, when they're when they're deciding on obstacle placement, is that maybe you bring the gas clouds, but maybe you place the rocks, uh, because you can kind of control where you engage that way. Because naturally, separatists are going to be drawn towards asteroids because they do get a big advantage from being able to land ships on them. And uh, oftentimes, like if your steps aren't usually really taking much of a bid, so even if you have you know no matching initiatives, you might take the bid just to make sure you get to place two of their rocks and split them up, put them in places that they don't benefit from. Right. So I guess this is something I'm not sure on. So that's what I chose to do. I brought the gas clouds. Um, I brought three so that 
they wouldn't only be able to place one of their rocks. If I took um, player one, I get to place two of the, the rocks that they bring. Um, I'm not like completely convinced this is the correct decision. It might be better to prioritize exactly where I want my gas clouds to create those safe zones um, that they don't want to go through. Because um, I think actions are really important to the droids, um, and I think strain also makes them pretty vulnerable. Um, so I think they do want to avoid gas clouds generally. Um, and they do provide amazing cover against all those two attack dice attacks. Um, right, especially if they don't have like seer mods or anything. So I could see an argument for either prioritizing taking the rocks away from the opponent or prioritizing where I want my gas clouds. But so, so where I'm at right now is I'm more inclined to place the rock so I can get the, like, take the initiative, place both the rocks so I can kind of generally know where I'm going to engage at least. Um, because a lot of what I'm doing right now with Von Reg and the four SFs is controlling engagements. Um, because those, the great thing about the TIE SFs is they have such great speed control. You can go from, you know, a one forward to a five straight to a three bank. They've got it all. And being able to do that helps me pick oftentimes where the fight actually takes place. And I think that's incredibly valuable when dealing with the Separatists. So I think part of this is just a limitation of what your list does. Yeah, I mean, I guess my hesitation on placing the rocks, because that was my first instinct, is there is a decent amount of variance. Variance is the wrong word. Um, but differences in play style um, and strategy between a lot of the Separatist players, um, and even within their lists, um, in how they play. And so I'm not confident I can choose where the correct rock placement is that they don't want. I might accidentally put it exactly where they want me to put it. Um, just because if I don't know this separatist player, um, they all kind of play a little differently. See, that's true, Carson, but I think there's also an argument where I might accidentally put the rock where they want it to be. They're definitely going to put the rock where they want it to be, right? Right, but I also know where I think I want the gas clouds. But I that <laughs> you don't be sound wrong very too. confident. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> um, um, we're spending too much time on gas clouds. That's a small tweak you can make make a change to your list. But I want to look at the bigger picture because I think in most, I think it's huge. I but. I. <laughs> I think in most cases, um, like if you're if you're having a list that's doing well against the other ships in the metagame or the other lists in the metagame, sorry, um, and it has an okay strategy against steps, lean away from changing your list. Look more at changing your strategy. And I think there's some considerations where um, one one trope I fell into as I developed my X-wing skills is that I'd find a, a way of flying whatever list I was running at the time that worked and then just apply that to every matchup. So I'd see like, oh, I flew the list this way. I did these kind of setup patterns. Um, I'm going to do that every time because I generally got success. And wh what I found was is that if it was a pretty good setup in most cases, I'd be generally winning. Um, but then I just have matchups where I get these blowout matches where I just get destroyed. Um, part of that's predictability where people can see you play and they can know what you're going to do generally. Um, but I think one thing I've learned as an X-Wing player over the years is that you need to be willing to adapt strategies with your list. And lists will vary to the degree of how much you can adapt their strategies, um, depending on the, you know, the ships you're flying and the tools you actually have in that list. But I think you need to like have that realization, especially for people who are newer to the game, of, 
I need to start planning my strategy as soon as I see the matchup. So as soon as I know what the lists are, and as soon as we start setting up the board, I need to start saying, okay, what are their limitations? What are my limitations? And what am I going to employ? What strategy am I going to employ to, you know, leverage whatever advantages I might have, even if it's generally not a favorable matchup? Right. I mean, so I also generally do, you know, at least the same opening against uh, basically every opponent. Um, and there's some important reasons to do that. One, it means you don't have to think as much in the opening turns on what you're doing, and you can focus on um, studying what your opponent is doing um, and then creating a plan after that. But of course, there is some matchups where it just goes poorly um, pretty quickly, and so you need to uh, adjust your setup so you're not caught off guard really early. Um for me with the separatists, I know, you know, kind of what I want to end up with, which is approaching them from multiple directions, ideally three different directions, um, so that they have to at least hard commit on one ship. Um, it's just creating that is not easy. It's not as easy as it um, always sounds. And I think you're 100% right on uh, the part of strategy that's adaptive, where there's something about having a more neutral setup. I wouldn't call it maybe identical every time, but have a neutral setup where you can shift. And your ability to do that depends a lot on your list. Like, you have a lot of ships that can move around. They have boosts and whatnot, so they can adapt and change directions relatively easily. I'm a little bit more limited with the TIE SFs, where I just have the barrel roll, so I'm a little more prone to having to commit to things, or at least commit to directions. Um, but I think what you're talking about is generally true. And I think I got a, I got a resistance transport pod. So I don't think you get (laughs) to complain about maneuverability. (laughs) That, that thing can only move one way, but you got potent ZZ. Um, one thing I learned though, playing against the SEPs is, um, one of the virtues of my list right now, Von Reg with the four tie SFs is those SFs generally flown as a group are super efficient. So I can point four of them at most any one or two ships and I have a pretty favorable engagement. Um, but when I'm playing other efficiency builds, especially swarms, where I've got six plus ships I might be facing down, I'm just going to lose that exchange if I go head to head. Let's be real. It's eight. It's always eight. <laughs> it's always eight now, I guess. Yeah. But even you know, even smaller than that, I have to I have to evaluate my situation. Um, so I look at that and I go, okay, if I bring my four SFs in on the SEP swarm and they're all pointing at me, they're going to kill stuff. It doesn't matter that I have initiative two and they have initiative one. Um, I'm not going to kill that much and they're probably going to kill a lot of stuff. So I learned that early on playing against the SEPs of like, okay, I can't really do my conventional mini swarm, two by two mini swarm flying that I do with the, uh, with the SFs. Now, it's hard for you once you get adapted to that strategy of like, oh, I always fly these guys in a cube and then I fly them kind of as one ship until I need to split them up. Um, I found that my most effective strategy against the SEPs is like you're saying, make, make my approach come from multiple angles, which means suddenly I have to take all my I2 ships and kind of, like, I look like it's my first game of X-Wing ever. Like, I set up my five ships, like, all the way across the board edge in a lot of cases, where it's like, it looks like no rhyme or reason, but that's actually a viable strategy against steps because they do tend to have to hard commit to things. So if I'm approaching them from three, maybe four different directions it's going to be a lot harder for them to like pick a target and keep on that target while other ships are coming around from the other sides. Yeah. The other thing you have to consider is you do not have much time to get to your optimal ish engagement. Um, That's true. 
And I say ish because you basically have to go with, well, this is good enough because I need to start engaging now. Um, and so you like, of course, if you had all the time in the world, you could set up the perfect flank, um, just completely encircle them. They don't know what to do, but you do not have the luxury of that time. Um, and you're already on a race against the clock uh, when you're playing against a swarm player. Uh, come at me, swarm players. Um, <laughs> even if you're playing as fast as possible, um, like just the level of operations, it's just, it's too much. Um, and you don't score any points against them. They're all like <laughs> 20 points um, and take like 10 shots to kill because they have a million green tokens. Well, and um, that's the enhanced. And I can't complain about that either because I'm flying TIE SFs, which give up like no points and they take forever to kill. Um, but that that is a consideration you have to take when you're flying against a SEP Swarm and you just have any list that's smaller is that like you're going to play probably fewer turns just because there's so many ships on the board and your decisions and damage output is really important. Like if you're not making decisive moves and taking points, that's going to just ruin your whole game because you'll just lose out. One of the funny experiences I had, I think the first time I played against Paul when he was doing Sep Swarms, this is pre-Worlds, um, I was flying, I can't remember what it was, I think it was a calibrated laser target Obi-Wan and some other, um, you know, Republic stuff. And that was a game where one thing I like about both Paul and John um, is that they are very aggressive players and they'll move very quickly. And I that was a game where I had lost on, by the time we were going into turn three, he had already moved in so aggressively, and I had already committed to directions that he just stomped me that following turn. And that's a thing you can do with the SEP Swarms, where they can get really aggressive. They can go, what, five straight. They can bank and barrel roll and calculate. Um, so, like, by turn two, they can already be encroaching on your side of the board. And you might not have that many opportunities to escape because they can do one hards. They can do really fast straight maneuvers. They can do a lot of stuff. Yeah, the five straights are pretty annoying. Well, they're fun on the TIE SF, but yeah. Oh, I meant on the vultures. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> a five straight on a TIE SF feels so good. So, and I think there are a lot of considerations, right? So SEPs can actually be pretty aggressive. They can set things up pretty quickly. So you have to make your setup, you have to plan your strategy on how to deal with them quickly you're only going to have, I don't know, two, three, maybe four turns before things really start to happen. And then you just move into the grind of like the combat scrum with the SEPs, which is a brain teaser nightmare all on its own. Um, but we, we know the stuff that makes Separatist good. Obviously, a high volume of attacks is really good. They can land on obstacles, asteroids and debris clouds, and just kind of sit there. So their time on target's really good, just rotating and shooting. And they're excellent blockers with a really good dial, generally, their ability to barrel roll and still get calculates. Um, they've got a lot of stuff going for them. I think when you're dealing with them, you do have to try and figure out what are the limitations of the SEP Swarm. Yeah, I mean, part of that is understanding grappling struts, uh, which reading the card is not really sufficient <laughs> for. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to ask them, like, how does this work? What is going to happen here? Um, I mean, but there's, yeah, so if they go completely over the rock and past it, then they're just going to take damage um, like anybody else. So they want to stop on it. Um, so that helps you with range control, understanding the speed they might move at. Also, if they barrel roll off it, then the next turn they probably don't want to jump onto a rock again. They want to do a normal maneuver, flip the struts back. 
um, basically take a turn off. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of weird stuff. Like th- this was not something I thought through until I'd played against him a couple times and just like being in the actual fight portion of the game, like understanding their limits because when grappling struts is an incredibly powerful card. Like being able to stop on an asteroid, still often get asteroid cover. Like the the benefits of grappling struts are way more than the limitations, but they do have limitations. Um and there's like the little things you have to consider. Right. It it feels like they can do anything. <laughs> but, but they can't. You're right. <laughs> well, and one you brought up to me that was really interesting was the speed control thing. Because sometimes the SEPs will telegraph exactly what they're going to do. If they put a drone close to an asteroid, but the asteroid's right in front of them, they're not going to clear past that. Like, they're going to do a maneuver that lands them on that asteroid. And that tells you a lot about what range you're going to engage at. Um, the other thing that, like, would get me in the scrum of the fight would be when they're on an asteroid, I'd think, like, okay, they can shoot me no matter where they are. Well, there are some limits, right? They can't 180, so I if I know what direction they're pointing in, they won't be in the opposite direction. Um, and if they want to get off of it, they have to do the two forward. Um, and that's a pretty big limitation. Right. Uh, yeah, and they can't yeah do the 180. Like So there's only really three facings they're going to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can do the barrel roll shenanigans, right? That's huge. Which is a lot. Like, I mean, <laughs> it covers a lot. But, yeah, there's one area they can't cover, which is directly behind them. Directly behind them, right. Um, which I have, I'm have, i okay with because I have rear arcs, so that's fine. Right, but... you can just blast past. That's a pretty good option. <laughs> well, it and, is. like, understanding the speed is pretty important because um, Discord missiles are pretty popular, and there's a very specific band you don't want to land in um, so that they can tag you with those Discord missiles. But also there's sometimes where, you know what, this is the safest spot for me to be and to know uh, when you just kind of have to take a Discord missile um, because blasting into range one of a bunch of them is just going to be a lot worse. Also, yeah, way worse. You'd rather take the crit. Right. Well, especially if you still have shields. Like... I, th- I think the big picture here, too, is, to, like, they have they have some limitations. Obviously, the reason people are flying Separatists is because they're very powerful, um, and their limitations are far outweighed by their benefits, but you have to use whatever tool is available to you. So in the case of my list, I use their low initiative, where I can basically fly all my I-2s as separate aces against them. I can come from all different directions. That makes it a lot harder for them to consolidate arcs on one target. And it also makes them, it makes them a lot uh, harder to block me. Um, so that's one benefit I have. Um, they also have to commit generally. So if they're you know performing maneuvers, their banks are not as good as their uh, straights and hard turns. And so if they're taking you know barrel rolls and then cal- uh, stresses to get calculates, you're gonna know they have a much more limited option of where they can go. So they generally have to move in those kind of like orthogonal directions, straight forward or ninety degrees. Yeah, I mean, in the resistance list I've been flying um, leverages speed. So I can set up the flanking pretty quickly. Um, and then I just have to rely on my double modded attacks and hope that is enough to cut down a few drawings. Yeah, I think one of the... F- so we can talk about your list here too. Um, one of the funny things I think about Separatists is that like we can talk about the nuances of the approach and the strategy there. Where at the end of the day, the real strategy is just I need to get drones off as quickly as possible because the fewer drones they have on the table, they become increasingly less effective as time goes on. 
because any one drone is not intimidating, right? It's a cheap ship, but it's three hit points with two agility. Um, if they get separated from the pack, they... no, it's it's the weight of all those calculate tokens that's what's powerful. And so each drone you take off, that's one less calculate they get each turn. Um, and and the and it's not a linear loss, right? Like if you lose one drone, that's bad. If you lose three, that's way worse than losing three individual drones separately, right? Like it compounds a lot, right? Like I mean, going back to the overcosting or undercosted thing, like I wouldn't pay nineteen points for a vulture. Uh, I don't think it's worth it when you just take one. I'd rather just have a nineteen point bid, um, <laughs> or nineteen heroics, whatever. Um, <laughs> but when you can take eight of them, like I think that's better than basically anything else you can be doing in this game. Um, and so it's a really weird, um balancing act there but when you start taking off the table you do see that like their value dramatically decreases so let's look at so you've had to deal with separatists recently a lot of times on the losing end recently on the winning end though at the store championship so i want to i got one (laughs) you got one finally um you've done you've done your part um so let's hear let's hear the list you've been running recently because i know it's been growing on you a lot um so let's hear the list and then let's talk a little bit just to hear generally what your list does to deal with seps. Yeah, so um, I got Poe Dameron. Uh, he's got uh, Heroic and uh, R4 Astromech and the Black One title. Uh, and then ZZ, the new A-Wing, um, who's just awesome. Uh, she's got Heroic and Advanced Optics. And then I got Jess Pava and Rose Tico. So you've got kind of a nice uh, resistance toolbox here. We've got a lot of different ships doing different things. Uh, Rose and Jess obviously synergize together. Jess gets re-rolls from having allies nearby, so she likes to have Rose close. And Rose, Rose gets re-rolls from having friendly ships in arc, so she likes to stay right behind Jess. Works out pretty good. Um, Poe is... Uh, you insist on running Poe, no matter how much me and John tell you it's bad. I guess it paid off this weekend, but um, Poe's I... a agree he is not great but like there's other i6s or i5s running around that i need somebody to chase them with he's it's like kind of just choosing what you what you have your pool is limited in how to deal with those i6s so you take what you have not that it's the best look if i if i could take neon with pattern analyzer i would um but that's not an option if i could take elo i might um but he's not an option either and I know Nian is technically in the game, but his heart's not there. It's just not going to work out. ZZ's great, though. Um, that's really one of the shining stars from the uh, the uh, new pilot pack. Yeah, I don't bring T70s to just have one mod. Um, this list is all about modification here. Um, all these people can uh, modify their offense substantially and have pretty good modification on defense, uh, except for Poe. Um, but that's maybe why he needs a new big focus token to make him feel safe. Um, but, um, yeah, ZZ, great ability to get extra green token after you attack or defend for the first time each turn. Um, so you can really token stack, um, get focus evade, helps you just survive some bad situations, which I'm pretty good at putting ZZ in. Um, and then Jess and Rose, just a dynamic team where they both just give each other rerolls on offense or defense or whatever. 
Um, so they just go straight or bank or uh, and just focus and just gun through whatever lands in their firing arcs and are pretty resilient if anyone wants to shoot at them. And then there's Poe that's 73 points that hopefully I don't give up. <laughs> uh, which you have given up in the past. Um, hey. What... The big question, though, what what does your list do? What what tools does your list have to deal with SEP swarms? Well, uh, MVPs are Jess and Rose because they're really good at putting the offensive pressure on those separatists. Um, their big weakness, though, are the discords where their movements are pretty predictable um, and they have a little harder time shrugging off those discord missiles. Uh, but Rose can tank a bunch of two attack dice attacks coming at her. Um, because she can just get... There's no limit on how many times you can use her ability each turn. Uh, you just have to make sure the conditions are met. Yeah, and it's kind of a nice um, like decision point for your opponent, where if they shoot at Rose, Rose has fewer hit points, but with all those defensive rerolls, you might be just fine. Um, and then with Jess, Jess obviously can only get the one defensive reroll one time, but she also has a lot of hit points, so it's going to take a lot of shots to bring her down. Right, I mean... And ZZ is an amazing flanker, um, really fast, um, can get around them, you know, just like the SFs where you leverage the rear arc, uh, the A-Wing can do the same thing. Um, and with the advanced optics and ZZ's pilot ability, you have pretty consistent offense. Um, not the spike offense of um, Jess or Poe, but, you know, consistently plinks away, you know, gets you half points every now and then, or it can finish somebody off in a pinch. Well, and I think having being able to do the rear arc shots with ZZ helps in a lot of the same ways my TIE SF's rear arc helps, right? Where the you know the drones on the rocks can't turn all the way around, so being able to shoot out the back is a huge advantage. Right. I mean, so the list big weakness against the droids is Poe, which theoretically he has a lot of great tools against them. You know, he's pretty fast. Um, he can boost and barrel roll. Um, he could even slam if I need him to. He's got great offense. He can target lock and focus, uh, but he does cost 73 points. So it's really hard to find any exchange where the damage he does is going to be uh, better than whatever damage he takes. Um, so if you're playing against me, don't go after Poe. Um, just shoot everybody else. <laughs> that would be great. That's Carson's advice. Um, so I basically have to create a scenario where that doesn't happen. I think I think your list is a good example of what we're talking about, though, because I don't think your list has a favorable matchup against separatists. Um, but it's not like a non-existent win for you, right? And I think that's exactly what we're trying to get to today. Is that like, yeah, they can take down Poe. It's hard for you to get point like trade half of Poe for an equal number or more points on the sep side. Um, the SEPs have a lot of ways they can stop you. They've got Discord missiles. But at the same time, like you do have strategies you can employ and understanding the limitations of the Separatists and knowing what like what are the tools I actually have that are beneficial to me means that, yeah, maybe it's not like people are going to take the Vegas odds with you on this one, but you still have things you can do to deal with them. Right. I mean, I had the potential to put a lot of offensive pressure on against them, you know, a lot of really well-modded attacks. If, you know, the vultures, green dice, you know, if they start showing some blanks, um, like they can fall apart pretty quickly. If they don't, uh, it's going to be tough. So um, 
I guess the conclusion we come to today is that we actually don't really have a conclusion, right? So um, it's it's kind of an unknown factor right now, and I think a lot of strategies will be developed over time to deal with the SEPs as we have to, you know, play against them over the next several months. Yeah, I mean, I guess where I'm at is, like, I think this list is pretty solid against most other things. And yeah, the Separatist matchup is an uphill climb, but, like, I'm willing to put in the effort to find ways to find wins in that matchup um, because I think it's going to be more beneficial and rewarding to put in that effort um, with keeping this list um, as opposed to finding one that can find wins against the rest of the field as well. And I think um, hopefully we don't disappoint anyone who is hoping for a hardcore, hard counter strategy to deal with Separatists because really I don't think one exists right now. And like that's not going to teach you to do that's not going to teach you to play better X-Wing. Uh, you yeah, have to Boba learn Fett and bombs, right? <laughs> okay, that is the hard counter. You should just do that if you're only going to deal with Separatists. But I think I think the takeaway I want people to have is really not limited to just dealing with Separatists. I think more my point with this is that you should recognize that you're not going to have favorable matchups sometimes. Sometimes there's just going to be stuff you have to play against that is under-costed, like the Separatists, um, that have way more pros than cons for them. So your toolbox is pretty limited. Even still, X-Wing is not a game of hard counters, really. X-Wing is a game of, all right, I need to be adaptive in my strategy. I need to have strategies. I'm going to need to adapt those throughout the course of a game, just depending on how the circumstances shift and the variance shifts. And uh, don't count any game as a loss, right? Like you should, if you're bringing a list into a competitive environment, it should be something that has ways to deal with all the big meta threats. At the same time, don't just think just because I have an unfavorable matchup that that's a loss for me. Yeah, I think if I can bring this matchup to like about a 50-50 coin flip, um, like that's pretty great. Like if I think I have, you know, winning matchups against everybody else and then one, you know, that I have to get a little lucky, um, I think that's a pretty good place to be. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Radio TCX. If you like the show, please go on to facebook.com slash Radio TCX and like our Facebook page. If you want to help the show grow and reach a wider audience, uh, please consider going on to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review saying what you like about the show. And if you want to support the show directly, please consider going on to patreon.com slash Radio TCX and becoming a supporter of the show today. It really means so much to us, uh, and thank you to all of our uh, current donors. Again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Hopefully you got some helpful tips with dealing with those separatists this week. Uh, Let us know. How do you deal with separatists? Let us know on Facebook. And if you just need to share your bad story about playing against separatists, uh, I am here to listen. uh, (laughs) Because I have certainly been there. We, we, We can figure this out together. So send Carson your sad stories. Otherwise, we will talk to you next week.